You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The retirement feature on Classic Business is brought to you by Liberty. According to the Institute of Retirement Funds Africa, two-thirds of members have less than 50,000 rand in their funds. Well, if you look at the Alexander Forbes Member Watch survey, it shows that only 5% of members uh, on the uh, retirement platform can afford to retire comfortably. Now, clearly, the system isn't working in South Africa with so few people not contributing to a pension pot at all for numerous reasons. I, I think affordability being top of the list and co COVID has certainly cracked up the volume on the debate a few notches. John Anderson is head of uh, client solutions at Alexander Forbes. John, welcome to the show. Is it time to change the model? Quite frankly, we've moved. It's been decades now since we moved from the old DB to the DC defined contribution model. Is it time to change? Uh, Thanks, Michael. And yeah, I I think what COVID has shown us is that, you know, we really need to relook at how we think about long term savings as well as short-term savings. Um, And to the extent that people don't have short-term savings, that's placed pressure on the long-term savings. So I think we need to relook at the whole model. You know, and the first thing is to make sure that people have a sufficient short-term savings. And typically, you know, it also works well through your employer so that you can then on top of that, you know, make sure you've got long-term savings in place for retirement. But I think the first step is make sure that you've got short-term savings to help you with these shocks like COVID and lockdowns um, to help tide you through that. The other thing is that, um, you know, to make sure that things are well-managed, simplified, to help people preserve more and save more. And we still haven't, we're still seeing quite a lot of people taking money in cash, even if they don't need it. And just because cash is the easiest thing to take, you know, and, and it's not because they need it, the good news is that we have seen examples where more more money is preserved on exit and the right things are starting to happen. Um, but that's, you know, that, that does require that retirement funds relook at what they're doing, employers relook and start using what we like to look at as a, an integrated approach to managing benefits. So if we're seeing an improvement in preservation, is that a result, would you say, directly of the retirement reforms and the defaults that were so long advocated by David McCarthy? Uh, We didn't move for such a long time that he eventually moved on before we actually saw those implemented a couple of years ago. Are we starting to see that now moving the needle? Yes, we are. That's the good news. And despite, uh, on the whole, we're still seeing a lot of cash, you know, going out of retirement funds. Uh, in general, but for retirement funds that have actually taken the default regulations seriously and implemented them, including proper engagement with individuals, retirement benefits counseling, re-looked at how they administer things and so that when a person uh, leaves, it's easier for them to save their money rather than uh, in cashing it. Mm-hmm. Um, they still get the option, but then making sure that you've got all of those things wrapped together, you know, is showing improvement. For example, we've got uh, an employer that implemented things quite proactively with, you know, all the default regulations. And over the last three years, they've managed to more than double their preservation rate, even in a COVID year, because of defaults, because of the way that things are administered, because of retirement benefits counselling. But it does mean that the employers need to take it seriously. Trustees need to take it seriously. 
And also you need to make sure that all those different parties are well coordinated to help those individuals. But we, the mm. good news is we are seeing it starting to work, like I said, even despite the, the, the COVID year. So that is remarkable. But in general, what are you seeing uh, because of COVID? Uh, I know many employers uh, provided some uh, suspension of contributions to funds, but that was only temporary. And as uh, the economy is opened up again, clearly you'd have to continue contributing to funds. Overall, what would you say the impact of COVID has been on the retirement fund industry through the book that you manage? Obviously, there have been some employers that have closed. So I think there's, you know, they just didn't survive COVID, but that's typically your smaller smaller companies it's unfortunate in the SMME area because that's where you actually need to help support better mm. but we've seen a lot of closures of employers there for the medium and large size employers there's been retrenchments um, but largely employers try to keep people uh, employed and the, how they did that was they first then suspended as you said the contributions they still made available things like your disability group uh, like life insurance and medical, uh, because I think it's quite important to keep that during a period that we've experienced in the last year. But to the extent that you could reduce your savings, about 30% of employers actually did that. And a large portion of them have started contributing back where they were before. So most took about a six-month contribution relief. There are still some that have are still struggling a bit to get back on track, you know, despite you know, we're seeing the economy open, but there's certain sectors that are still struggling, the hospitality sector, tourism, and the like. But those that have been able to recover are now fully at, you know, at contribution rates that they were before, mm. and the people are st- still employed. What we have seen is employers starting to reconsider whether they manage their own retirement fund and seeing that, look, it's becoming quite complex, lots of regulation, lots of issues. Plus, you know, when crises like that happen, you've got all these different parties that need to come together. So we're starting to see a lot of them simplify their arrangements and even larger employers starting to consider umbrella funds as well. And umbrella funds were a big trend prior to COVID, uh, allowing the the economies of scale to really consolidate what has been a fairly fragmented pension funds industry. Do you see COVID just accelerating that trend around umbrella funds in particular? We have, so we, we're seeing it accelerate things on two fronts. So for large retirement funds that use split services, you know, they'll have different service providers for admin, consulting, you know, the investment administration. Mm. Some even don't have it, investment administration. Then the underlying asset managers, just re-looking at the investment strategies and starting to use more platforms as well as, as multi-manager solutions to make their life a lot easier. And over time, we've actually seen the returns on those portfolios do better than a split approach. So that's the one. But then we've also seen uh, signs of medium and large employers, you know, that previously wanted to have their own retirement fund, actually start adopting an umbrella fund approach, again, to make their life easier. But it's also because umbrella funds have uh, evolved to cater for the needs of larger employers. So I think COVID has definitely accelerated, and you know, the trend to um, you know consolidate things and you know larger funds to use more multi-manager approaches, mm-hmm. and secondly, for larger employers to start using umbrella arrangements because it's going to save them a lot of uh, hassle, money, so that they can focus on their core core business. 
we've definitely seen that. The one challenge, though, I guess, in an umbrella-type scenario is designing appropriate default, isn't it, uh, that is going to suit the sort of average or median member? That is correct. But what typically what an umbrella fund would do is that's a, that's a structure and it needs to cater for a vast range of employers. And what they would typically do is design a range of defaults. They won't have a single default. They'll have three or four options, and each employer, based on their specific Mm -hmm. membership profile, demographics, needs, could use those different solutions. So, for example, you still get um, employers where... uh, a one portfolio that smooths returns over time is better because members don't want to see negative returns. They use that as a default and no member choice because of the member profile. Others like member choice, but then have a life stage uh, strategy. And then you can have you know, options of whether you believe passive is better, active is better. So what Umbrella Fund trustees is that they make a menu of defaults and they're sufficient flexibility around that to cater for the large majority of, of mm. employers. Mm. And, and it is still uh, about those uh, those positive behavioral nudges that a default offers at the end of the day, because uh, very often uh, people don't take enough proactive ownership over their retirement journeys, even though we're in this uh, defined contribution system, uh, which uh, is very much uh, about putting the onus of the responsibility on the individual saver. And that's why I was encouraged to hear what you were saying earlier about some employers really being a little bit more proactive without being paternalistic, but certainly helping their employees through through HR make the right decisions and offering things like uh, benefits counselling. There's a private members bill that has certainly stirred a lot of interest as well, a proposal to uh, uh, make the use of uh, pension fund money available as collateral for a loan. I mean, you can already do that for a home loan, but this certainly seems to open a, a can of worms. If we think that pension funds are, are really sacrosanct, they're there for our retirement, as tough as these times may be, what do you make of it? Yeah, no, definitely. So the thing is, you know, in terms of loans, um, there's good rationale for having a home loan against your retirement savings as collateral because it's long-term and it generally is linked to wealth. So I think that makes sense. But to try and fund short-term savings from your long-term savings, especially when people are highly indebted, you know, there, there's other. we think that there's other better interventions that, that could be put in place rather than putting your, your retirement savings at risk. The reality is that for a lot of people that needed a relief during the COVID period, the contribution reduction was actually the most effective uh, because in reality, in practice, members have about 50,000 rand on average balance in their retirement fund. Mm. So, you know, any loan that you could get is actually going to be very little relief, whereas the contribution relief that you get every month for six months or if for some employers that extended it, was actually far more valuable yeah. than any loan you could get, you know, through through a retirement fund. So we definitely agree that, you know, it's not a good idea to have your long-term savings back any of the, you know, short-term uh, indebtedness. It might also encourage the wrong behavior, mm. but the reality is for the average person, it's not going to make a big difference. People that are more highly indebted, there are other better ways to actually do it. Retirement funds themselves, there are issues to, you know, we need to improve the savings over time. And there's other interventions to actually focus on as a priority. For example, when people exit, making sure that those that don't need it 
don't take the money and rather make it easy for them to carry on investing. Mm. And it's usually simple interventions like when you join an employer, make sure that the default contribution rate is sufficiently high because most people follow the default. When people exit, make it the default to you know remain invested rather than taking cash. People can still have the option, but typically people will stick with the default. And also with default investments, most people take the, the default. And in the last year, we've seen most people that follow default investments didn't make fall prey to the bad decisions when mm. COVID and the market crash hit. And when the markets recovered, you know, they're still well invested. So the default approach definitely works. But anyway, I wouldn't encourage any short-term mm. loans on, on long-term savings. It's mm. not... Um, it's not a good idea. Absolutely. It's why uh, uh, Kahneman and, uh, and Tversky and Richard Thaler and all of those pioneers of behavioral economics are so revered because it has uh, over time shown to be one of the most effective ways of nudging us in the right uh, direction. Uh, John Anderson, Head of Client Solutions at Alexander Forbes, thank you very much for sharing your insights into the impacts of COVID on South Africa's retirement landscape. Take care. The retirement feature on Classic Business was brought to you by Liberty.